God, thank you so much for who you are, for all you've done in our lives, God. God, I just, I pray today that as we open up your word, as we dive in together, that you would just continue to speak to each and every one of us, continue to shape us through your word, continue to challenge us through your word. Uh, God, this morning we uh, were diving into yet another characteristic, another virtue of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. So God, will we just use these weeks and use these times that we have together to, to help mature us into your image. God, would you speak through me today? Would you just not allow the words that are coming out of my mouth to be my words, but would they be your words for your people on your day? God, we are here for no other reason than to hear from you and to worship you. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in week three of part three of our More Than a Feeling series. Uh, I have actually really enjoyed this series as we've just been talking through what the Bible says about what we believe and why we believe it, what the Bible says about some of the, the practices that we do uh, in a post-truth culture uh, where everyone is allowed to have their own truth. What does it mean that our faith, that our truth is based on something that comes from uh, not just within us, it is more than a feeling. Uh, it is based on truth. It is based on God's truth as revealed to us through his word. So uh, part three, parts one and two, uh, we won't go and rehash those, but part three, uh, we've kind of been answering this question. What? Uh, who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? We've gone through what we believe. We've gone through what we do. Now we're talking about what we are becoming, who we are becoming, what kinds of people are, are we supposed to be? Who is God calling us to be? What are some of the characteristics? What are some of the, the virtues that we should have in our lives as believers? What, what does it look like to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ? So far in part three, we've talked about the renewing of our mind in Romans chapter 12. We've talked about how that does not happen on our own power. That happens through the power of the Spirit as we allow the Spirit to come in and move in our minds, that our minds begin to, to focus on the things that God would have us to focus on. They begin to, to think less about ourselves and more about God, uh, that our minds are renewed. We become transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what Romans 12 teaches us. Uh, last week, we looked at... Hebrews chapter 12, and talked about running this race that, that God has for us with perseverance. What does it look like to persevere? How are we as believers, people who persevere, specifically last week, in prayer? How do we persevere in prayer? How do we continue this prayer, even though sometimes it feels like our prayers, there must be like a million prayers up there in the rafters because they're, they're not getting to God, right? We, we persevere, we keep going, and we, from the book of, of Daniel, we learn that, that God tells Daniel, from the very first time that you prayed, your prayer was heard. That encouragement, I hope, has been an encouragement for you this week, that as you have been persevering in prayer, as you've been continuing to push in prayer, that you would be encouraged that the very first time that you prayed that prayer, your prayer was heard, and it has continued to be heard day in and day out as you have continued to persevere in prayer. I encourage you, even this week, to continue to persevere in prayer. This week, we're going to talk about uh, another characteristic, another virtue uh, that we find in Scripture of believers, and uh, it is a 
Uh, I think it's a, it's a doozy, right? We're going to talk about submission today. Uh, submission. So uh, we're going to do that by looking in James chapter 4. If you want to go there, James chapter 4. Uh, if you're in one of our pew Bibles and you want to follow along with me, uh, it's on page 1045. Uh, submission, though, is kind of an interesting idea in our culture, right? We, uh, we don't necessarily value submission much in our culture. Submission is, it's not necessarily looked down on, but it's not looked up on either. Uh, I mean, we, the people that we look up to are not the people that we say, man, that guy was just so good at submissing to, to those other people. No, we look at the guys who are on the top or the women who are on top. We look at the people who, who are looking out for themselves. This is kind of our culture. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, look out for yourself, battle your way to the top. There's not a whole lot of submission in, in the American dream, there's not a whole lot of submission out, really outside of Scripture. Really, submission is a, is, a, is a really moral Christian issue. And it should be in our lives as believers. Uh, this, is, this is not a foreign concept in Scripture. It's a foreign concept in our culture, but it's definitely not one in Scripture. The New Testament all over the place talks about how we need to be submissive as believers. talks about wives submit to their husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Church, submit to each other. Right? We're, we're to be submissive to one another, to look to humble ourselves, to look to each other as greater than ourselves or as just as important <laughs> at least as ourselves. Right? We're to look and, and to encourage one another. We read about all the one another's and scripture, submit to one another, is in there as well. We are to be submissive. But the, 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 I think the most important submission that we need to make as believers is just pretty straightforward here in this James 4 passage. The most important is to submit to God. So James chapter 4. Uh, if you want to turn there with me. Uh, you're probably already there because I said that earlier, but James chapter 4, uh, and I, I, James is one of my favorite books. If you've been here for a while, you know I use James quite a bit. James is one of my favorite books uh, because James doesn't leave anything to like, I wonder what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. James is pretty straightforward with how he speaks in scripture. James is one of those books when, when a new believer comes to me and says, Pastor Chris, where should I start? I typically say, start in the gospel, read about Jesus, read James. Because James is not going to be a confusing book. You're, you're not going to have a whole lot of questions about what James is trying to say. This, this chapter in James is not really different. We're going to actually read through this whole chapter and just kind of, we'll break it down afterwards. But let's just read chapter 4 here in the book of James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason? That he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble 
(laughs) Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, but the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, there's really one verse that kind of captures the, the heart of this whole chapter, this whole piece that James is writing here, and it's verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then. This then is actually therefore. <laughs> so uh, I won't go there today, but we're going to go back anyways. So, uh, <laughs> but we're, it, it's really talking about, there's, there's, I think this chapter here is talking about how we submit to God, why we submit to God. And so I think really James, like I said, he doesn't really leave anything to, uh, he doesn't really leave any questions there. He's broken it down pretty clearly here for all of the different ways in our lives that we need to be submissive to God. Here's the very first thing that he leads off with. I think he leads off with submitting our desires to God, submitting the things that we desire to God. Even just verses one through three, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, James is, uh, like I said, he's, he's not leaving anything to count here. There's, this verse 2, I think, is probably one of the most uh, taken out of context verses in scripture, right? This, this, we get this, uh, you have not because you ask not. Now this, this theology, if you take it farther, kind of makes God out to be this kind of cosmic Santa Claus, right? We, we have not because we ask not. And then our, in this, in this way, our prayers kind of become our way of getting our list to our cosmic Santa Claus, Jesus Christ, right? So, so we come and we give this, but he's, She's not saying that our desires are wrong. He's not saying that, that innately like we, we shouldn't be desiring. No, he's saying when we desire, we need to be checking our motives. We need to be checking why we desire the things that we desire. Why are we asking for the things that we are asking for? It says you ask not because, or you do not have because you ask not. You do not have because you do not ask God. But he keeps going. We forget to keep going sometimes when we take this verse out of context. Because when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Now, how do we begin to ask and pray with right motives? Now, we need to be able to submit our desires to God. Say, God, this is, these are the things that I want. These are the things that, that I would like to see happen in my life. But, not my will, but yours. 
These are the things that I would like to see. God, I'm going to ask you these things, but I don't want to ask with the wrong motives. See, here's the thing. I, I told you uh, a few weeks ago when we started part three that everything goes back to this renewed mind, this renewed mind that we get from the Spirit, this renewed mind that begins to, to allow us to think not necessarily just about ourselves, our own desires, our own wants, but begin to, to meld our minds so that our thoughts become God's thoughts. Our wants becomes God's wants. Our desires become God's desires. See, when we pray with this renewed mind, when we seek God's will with this renewed mind, when we go to Him with our desires and our wants, oftentimes what happens is if we go with a renewed mind, we are asking and desiring the same things that God is desiring for our lives. But we need to check our motives. James is talking about checking our motives here. We ask with the wrong motives. See, chances are, if you are praying with a selfish motive, the answer is not probably going to be yes. That if you are praying with right motives, that God would be lifted up, that God would be glorified through whatever is about to happen, whatever we are praying through, that higher purpose that God is glorified is the same purpose that God has in the world, that he would be glorified, that his name would be lifted up. And if the things that we desire, the things that we push for, the things that we want, have that motive in mind, then we are in line with what God is desiring. Now, that to be said, just because our prayers are in line, say we have the same purpose as God, God may still choose to do things in a different way than we are praying. He may still choose to do things in his own way, in his own time, which is why we talked about persevering in prayer last week. Right, but we need to align our desires and submit our own human desires to God that our desires would be lined up with his desires. Now, we need to, to check our desires. We need to submit them to God. He keeps going about how, how else we submit to God. We submit not only our desires, but we, we submit our hearts to God. Verse 4 through 6. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? <clears throat> Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, this whole beginning part, you adulterous people. Now, this, is, this cuts really straight to the heart. James is going straight to the heart here. You adulterous people. Now, if you understand where he's coming from, you understand the Old Testament, Israel uh, is really an adulterous people. Right? They, they follow God sometimes, but most of the time their allegiance is split. You find them as, after they've come out of Egypt. They find them building a giant golden calf. You find them wanting to worship Baal, wanting to worship different people. In our seven churches of Revelation series, we saw all of these seven churches. There were only two whose allegiances weren't necessarily split. 
Right, there are only two churches that Jesus has written to that says, look, I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love or, or you've forgotten truth. You're not, you're not elevating truth and love. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You are allowing other worship to happen in the tabernacle. You are allowing yourselves to go out and to worship other things. This is, this is commonplace for the people of God. And he's, James is calling us out on that. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? We, we cannot serve two masters, Scripture says in another place. Our heart needs to be submitted to God, which means it cannot be submitted to the things in the world that has sometimes take precedence over our heart, sometimes take precedence over our passion. There are a lot of things that... Uh, that get in the way. We have these same issues that they had then, now in the 21st century. There are a lot of things, a lot of idols that we put before God. Here's a, just a definition of, of idol here. An idol is, that, that I read this week, anything that captures our heart in such a powerful and compelling way that it moves God from the center to the margin in our lives. I'm going to read that again. I just want you to hear this because When you think about it this way, literally anything in your life can be an idol. Here's what he says. Anything that captures our hearts in such a powerful and compelling way that it moves God from the center to the margin in our lives. Now here's just a question for you. Is there anything in your life that has moved God from the center to the margins? Anything in your life that has come between you and God. Any of these desires that you need to submit. Anything in your heart that you need to submit to get God back to the center of your life. To fix your eyes on Jesus, like we talked about the first two weeks of part three. Is there anything you need to do to get God back to the center of your life? See, God is, is essentially the main character in our lives. We like to make it about us. We like to make our story about us. And that's, that's a natural thing, right? We, it is our lives. We like to think we're the main character. But man, God is over all and in all and through all. God is the main character of this book, of this story. He's the main character of your story. He's the main character of your life. God needs to be the center. And if God is on the margins, I want you to think about that this week. What is it that you have... Put in the center. If God is not there, what is? And let's focus on, on submitting our hearts, submitting our desires to God so that we might put him back in the middle. Now, there's a, there's a central issue here, right? That something that always moves God out from the margin, he, James continues to talk about here. Submit yourselves to God then, in verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now this, this piece right here, this central issue that we have of things that, that move God to the margins and out of the middle, temptation and sin. Temptation and sin often move God from the, from the middle to the margins in our lives. Now, Satan is never, ever 
going to stop trying to tempt you. Just understand that peace. You will never be out of the sights of Satan. But there is some encouragement here in this verse. Submit yourselves unto God. I love this piece. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, like I said, James isn't leaving any, any he's not pulling any punches here. He's telling you exactly what happens. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. How, I mean, how, how, first of all, how do you get to this point, right? First of all, I think it starts by submitting your hearts, submitting your desires to God, that your desires become the things that God desires. Your heart becomes uh, welcoming to all these things. It's not, it's, it's focused on God as God is in the middle of your life. And when God is in the middle of your life and Satan comes and tries to tempt you, because he will, if you resist him, Scripture says here in James that he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Resist. I mean, there's, we have practical examples in Scripture of how to resist the devil, right? We have Jesus in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is baptized, and immediately after his baptism, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says that Jesus is, is taken by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And how does Jesus face these temptations? First of all, he, he knows this word. Every, every time, Satan tempts him three times. Every single time Satan comes to him, he has a scripture. Satan comes and says, turn these stones into bread. Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, from Deuteronomy. Jesus says, or, and Satan says, throw yourself off this building. The angels will come and they will catch you. And Satan even knows the little scripture. And Jesus says, no, hold on. You should not put the God, the Lord your God, to the test. Satan takes him out for his, what I like to see as his Lion King moment, right? This, this point, this high point on the mountain. And uh, it's kind of like the everything the light touches, you know, this moment. It says, look at all of this. All of this can be yours. If you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus again uses scripture and says, I'm not going to do this. I will not give in to what you have. And what happens? Satan goes away. Satan flees. Now, in one of the other gospels, it says that Satan goes away and there's like a dot, dot, dot until an opportune time. I have no doubts in my mind that Jesus continued to be tempted throughout his life. If there were opportune times, that Satan was right there with him. Now, just, just know this. You will continue to be tempted. Satan will continue to tempt you because Satan wants nothing more than to pull you away from what God has for your life. But if you submit your life to God, submit your desires, submit your heart to God, and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff here. So how did Jesus, how did Jesus resist? Well, he, he knew the word, first of all. He knew the word of God. I think he also, in our lives, we can put some boundaries up to say, look, I'm not going to go near this thing that is tempting me. I'm, I know that I will be tempted if I watch this, or I know I'll be tempted if I go here. Let's put some boundaries up to keep ourselves away from this temptation. Not, let's not give Satan a foothold into our lives and say, you know what, I... I 
I'm not going to do that, but I'm still going to I'm still going to get as close to the line as I possibly can. Let's not do that. Let's let's build some boundaries up and let's let's build some accountability in our lives. This is how we resist the devil. This is how we resist temptation. So, we submit our hearts, we submit our desires, we submit our temptations essentially to God. He keeps going here even after this. I think we submit our relationships to God. Submit the way that we relate to other people to God. Here we go in verse, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Like I said, James doesn't want you to miss the point here. Who are you? Who are you to judge your neighbor? I often, I often quote Billy Graham, uh, kind of a quote that I like to live by. He said, it's God's job to judge, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's my job to love. Now, you look in this passage, James is saying, who are you? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Don't speak in slander against one another. Don't judge one another, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, here's the thing. When we submit our relationships to God and we say, God, I'm going to leave this whole judgment piece up to you. God, I'm going to leave this whole justice piece up to you. What does that free us up to do? It frees us up to love. It frees us up to do exactly what God has called us to do, to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor. Now, we submit our relationships to God. And if there's a, a time where we need to, to speak truth to our neighbor, and may we do that out of love. If there's a time where we need to, to talk to our neighbor about something that's going to be harsh or divisive, may we do that in love. Not out of judgment. Who are you to judge your neighbor? It's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict it is our job to love. So we submit our relationships to, to God. We submit each and every piece of that. Let, let's let God take care of the justice piece. It will free us up to love. So we submit our relationships. We submit our desire, our heart, our temptations, our relationships. And I think the last part of this chapter, uh, there's a separate heading in my Bible, but I think it all goes together because I think we submit our future to God. We submit our future to God. Here's, here's what he keeps going. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I think we submit not only our desire, not only our heart, not only our temptation, not only our relationships with other people. I think we submit our future to God. 
which is literally all of us. We, we, we've just talked about submitting our whole selves to God, your, your inner desires, the things that drive you, your heart, your passion. We've talked about your temptations, the things that are going to keep you from keeping God in the middle of your life. We've talked about your relationships that you have with other people. And now we're talking about submitting our future to God. James is not leaving anything out of this submission to God. It is all here. And James is trying to say here in this one, look, you, your, your future is not yours. See, here's the thing. When we, when we view our future as ours, we begin to, to worry about the future. And when we begin to worry about the future, we begin to try and manipulate the future, to try and make the future better for us. But our future belongs to God. May God's will be the thing that drives us. May God's will be the thing that keeps us going into the future. May we submit our future, the things that we, that we know are going to happen. Let's submit ourselves and our future to God. It allows us to be more fully in the present today. It allows us to be thankful for the gifts that we have today. Now, there's, I, I read this somewhere like, what if, what if all you had today was all you thanked God for yesterday? I think we, we forget this peace that God is sustaining us every single day. And we do that because we're focused, especially in our culture, on our future. So how do we submit our future to God? How do we say, God, I, I want what you want? Well, I... I leaned into this in the first week of part three. In fact, if you want to go back to Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Here's, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I don't know about you. This is exactly where I want my future to be. Right square in the middle of God's will for my life. How do we do that? We can only do that when we're transformed. When our minds are being renewed by the Spirit. When we are submitting to God. That's what that looks like. So I'll ask you as we get ready to leave today. Where do you need to submit? Is there an area of your life where you haven't submitted? And if so, how do you make that happen this week? How do you make this week the week where your desires are submitted to God? Or this week the week where your heart is submitted to God? Or where your temptations are submitted to God? Or where your relationships, this is probably a big one for, for people, this are submitted to God? Or how do we, how do we go ahead and, and submit our future to God and trust Him with whatever comes next? Say, God, not my will, your will be done. I want to find myself in the center of your will every day of my life from here on out. Where do you need to submit this week? 
before you live, just or before you leave, make a note. Write it down on paper. This is where I need to submit. Put it somewhere where you're going to find it this week, where you're going to see it this week. It constantly reminds you, hey, I, I need to submit to this this week. I need to submit to God in this area of my life this week. I need to continually be submitting to God. I need to, to do this over and over. I need, to, I need to keep reminding myself, keep on submitting. Because submission to God is not a one-time thing. It doesn't just happen right now in this place as we pray in a second. God, I submit to you. This is that every day I wake up and today, God, I submit to you. Today, God, I submit to you. Today, God, I submit my heart. I submit my desires. I submit my relationships. I submit my temptations. God, I know I'm going to be in this place today where, where maybe these temptations will come in. God, I submit this temptation to you. I, I give this to you. I help me to resist the devil. God, I submit my relationships with you. I know I'm going to see some people today that I don't like. I know I'm going to see some people today that I want to slander. I know, I know that I'm going to see some people today who are going to make me not want to submit my relationship with them to you. But would you help me even now in this moment to submit my relationship with them to you? Would you help me to love them and not to judge them? Where do you need to submit this week? Let's do that together. Before you leave, write it down. Put it someplace you're going to see it. And let's submit. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for the power that you have given us through your spirit. God, this morning, this is a, this is a, this is a challenging piece for us to submit ourselves to you, to submit to your word, to submit to your gospel, God, to submit to to your mission in our lives. But God, this morning, we pray together that you, that we submit our desires to you. God, would the things that we desire be in line with your desires? Would the things that we desire be, be to glorify you? be to give you praise, be to to lift your name high, be to share your word, to share your gospel. God, would we submit our our hearts to you? Would our hearts not be pulled in a million directions, but would you be the very center of our lives? Would we not have any idols? God, if we have idols, would you show them to us this week? Would you show us these places where we can where we can grow, where we can pull things away from the center of our lives and make room for you there, God. Would you be the center of our lives? God, we give you our temptations. God, this week as we go, would you just be in those places, be in those conversations, be wherever we may be. That If it's a place where temptation is there, God, would you just help us to submit this temptation to you? And God, we submit our relationships to you. Those people that we judge often, those people that we slander often, God, but we just learn to love those people as you love those people. And God, we submit our future to you. We submit our future lives, our future influences, would they be yours? God, would you go ahead of us this week? Would you help us in all of these areas to submit to you? Not just for 
for personal reasons, but God, that we might make a difference for you. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me just say a word of uh, blessing over you. Uh, If you're new, we do this every week. We just hold our hands out and just receive a blessing as we leave. So actually, we just hold your hands out and receive this blessing. May our God, our God of love and grace, peace and joy, may he give you confidence in his plan for you this week. And may you submit confidently knowing that where he leads is good and right and perfect. May you go boldly in this confidence this week that you would make a difference wherever you may find yourself. Go in the grace and love and peace of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.